Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace, pastor of Redemption to the Nation's Church. And listen, today I'm going to be bringing a message that I trust will bring life and hope and peace to your heart. We need peace in these troubled times. We can find it in the word of the Lord. I want you to call your friends, your family, let them know that this message is getting ready to be preached. I want them to join in and be blessed by it as well. Now hang on to the end. I'm coming back to pray for you and your need. Can't wait to see you then. May the Lord bless you. Let's jump into the word today. Finish this thought that I started last Sunday on divine alignment in terms of assignment alignment. Look at your neighbor, tell them assignment alignment. I just want to declare this prophetically over you. There's an alignment coming to some assignments. This will be a year where God will line some things up in the realm of what you are to do for him and for his kingdom and for his glory. And I sense that there will be no time wasted. Even in a perceived failure, God doesn't waste your time. We're going to talk about that today. Acts chapter 16, verse 6, when you have it, say amen. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Watch this. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood, and he pleaded with him, come over here to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I want you to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please, verse 1. Somebody say assignment alignment. And I'm not going to take a lot of time today. I feel like we've been in church eternally this weekend. We've gotten so much good word, but I'm going to leave this with you because I feel like this is for some people who were in the conference and some people who didn't come to the conference. I believe God's about to help you make some sense out of some seasons you've been walking through. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of where? Macedonia. Father, help us today. Help us see what you're doing when we can't understand your ways. We're going to trust your heart. And I thank you for the grace that you're bestowing on people in this room right now. Some things are about to make sense. Some seasons of frustration that have produced fear, that have produced questions. I thank you today some answers are coming. May it settle down on us today. And may we find lead, the leading of the Spirit of God, the guidance of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. You can be seated. So last week, last week we talked about the call of Paul. It was Saul of Tarsus, and I'm not going to go into depth about that again. Just a two-minute reminder. He's on his way to Damascus to assault and to incarcerate more church people. On his way to Damascus, Jesus encounters Paul on that road. He falls from his beast. He's laying in the ground. He sees a light, hears a voice. Paul, why do you per Saul, why do you persecute me? You remember the story. Paul looks up and says, who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? A very quick reminder that who he is is more important than what you do for him. I'm going to say it again. Who he is to you is more important than what you do for him. The first question Paul asks, and I remind you that Paul is a Jewish man in the Jewish faith, and the Jewish faith is a very works-oriented religion. 
His entire, his entire uh, identity is wrapped up in what he does for God. And the first question he asks Jesus is not, what do you want me to do for you in this new Christianity? The first question he asks is, who are you, Lord? Get that, get that straight before you launch out into what you do for God. The most important thing is not what you do for God. It's that you know God. How many are thankful for a relationship that we can have with Jesus? I don't know about you, but I don't know what I'd do without the Lord. I don't know what I would do without having the ability to talk to him and to hear his voice and to find his presence in difficult situations and difficult circumstances. You know, people, people sometimes they think that the only time we find Jesus is on Sunday morning. I, I'm thankful I found him last night and I found him on Monday and I found him on Tuesday and I found him on Wednesday. Come on. He's a God who can be found. You can call on the Lord and find him. It's a personal relationship that we need to understand is important. And God wants us to know we can have it. Who are you, Lord? Why don't we spend the rest of our life trying to just discover the awesomeness of our Savior? And so, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And, and he doesn't get a whole download on what he's going to do. He just gets up and he goes and he starts preaching the gospel. Eight verses after he meets Jesus, he goes into the synagogue and starts preaching the gospel. And I find that rather fascinating, that he doesn't go through preaching school. He just goes and starts telling what Jesus did for him. Now, I am all about education. I'm all about scholarship. I have a, one of my favorite quotes is from a preacher of a bygone era. His name is Ray Hughes, and he made a statement one time. He said, there's nothing like scholarship on fire. How many know we should study to show ourselves approved? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Come on, rightly dividing the word of truth. How many know we need to study the word and get the word in us, right? I believe in studying the word, but I'm gonna tell you right now, there are people who are, they are Bible worms, bookworms. They read it, read it, read it, but they don't have any demonstration of the Bible that they're reading. And I wanna tell you right now that a testimony, a man with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a man with an argument. A man with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can argue with the, the, the blind man in John chapter nine all you want to. You can argue with him and tell him Jesus is a sinner, Christianity isn't real. You can argue with him and tell him he's an imposter, Jesus is a fake. But the man who was blind has a testimony and will refuse to bow to the argument of a legalist who tells you that it's not real. He looked at the Pharisees and said, look, I don't know if the dude's a sinner or not. Here's what I know. I was blind, but when I met that man, now I see. I better be careful here because I feel like wading out in this water and reminding you that your testimony still sets the captive free. Don't you ever back up when a religious spirit tries to talk you out of what you know is real? If you were there when it happened, I think you're the one that ought to know what the Lord has done for you. And you can't be talked out of a man who was blind, but now he knows what you look like. He knows what blue is in the sky and green is on the grass because Jesus met him and healed him. So I just, I just think we ought to, I think we ought to stay excited. Well, you ought to chill. No, that's, that's, uh, it's not an option. It's just not an option. We're not in a day of chill. We're in a day of all hands on deck. Christianity does not need a chill pill. We need to turn it up a little bit. We need to turn the heat up a little bit and we need, we, we, we need some people with testimonies. I'm gonna say it this way, recent testimonies. I'm thankful for what he did for you 40 years ago, but he's still on the throne. He's, I felt a streak of glory right then. I said he's still on the throne. I'm thankful he healed you of a hangnail 30 years ago, but I'm gonna tell you, he's still healing cancer right now. And he's still healing, he's healing tumors. And he's still healing, healing of long-term COVID sickness. I've been getting this thing on my radar in prayer. Some of you have been struggling with long-term COVID. I'm telling you, I serve a longer-term healer. And if you'll just trust him, he's gonna touch your neuro neurological system. He's going to touch your breathing. He's going to touch your lungs and you will not be a COVID victim for the rest of your life. Jesus is bigger than COVID and his name's above every other name. I wish I could find me some help in here. Hallelujah. So uh, he's preaching the gospel in these synagogues eight verses after he meets Jesus. And then he starts getting committed and plugged in. And he gets committed and plugged into a local church in a city called Antioch. 
in Acts 13, he gets planted. Hear what I'm telling you. He gets planted in a church. And in his committing and getting planted in a church, I think I want to talk to some people here about that. Maybe you're online. I'm just really over the we don't need the church crowd. I'm going to heaven. I don't need a church. You need to get into church. In the book of Revelation, Jesus was not hanging out uh, down at the Piggly Wiggly. He was walking among the seven golden candlesticks, which are the church. I need some help right here. You want to know where Jesus is? He's in the church. Well, the church is not the building. The people gather in a building, and when they gather, that's the church. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there in the midst. Now, I'm thankful for when I'm not feeling well, I could get on live stream, or if I don't have a church in my community, people jump on, and they're a part of our church online family from all over the world. There's a difference between that and living four blocks down the road and staying in your jammies drinking your cappuccino because you don't like people and you don't want the accountability of running with people who are in the kingdom of God. You need to get in a church where Jesus is. You need to get in a church where the pastor preaches the Bible. You need to get in a church that has altar calls. You need to get in a church where the sick get healed. And you need to get in a church where the Spirit of God is on the move. You don't need to sit and wait for Jesus to come get us. You need to get engaged. You need to get planted. And from that, you'll get launched into your purpose. It's good preaching, Bishop. Get in the church. So he gets planted in Antioch. And in Acts 13, they send him. It's his first of three missionary journeys. And this is before we knew how to do missionary work. I think we think, oh, Paul was a you know, missionary. He had a great mission agency. Paul was like the first missionary. This is all new stuff. And he launches out into a missionary journey and he's full of the zeal of God. He's full of passion. He's full of revelation. He's got a testimony. And I told you about coming to Acts chapter 16 and he gets down in Galatia and he wants to preach the gospel in Asia. And the Holy Spirit says no. And I didn't tell you this last week, but I read it to you this morning. I, I think it bears reminding he then goes to Bithynia and he wants to preach the gospel there and the Holy Spirit forbids that as well. Last week I told you God wouldn't let him go to Asia, but the fact of the matter is, here's what the text says. Chad, if you could put that up. We are Chad. Uh, that, that's that verse that says, and we tried to go to Bithynia and the Spirit said, no, can't go there. Have you ever tried something that didn't work? I read those verses and it jumped off the pages to me. It said, well, look, they tried to go. Have you ever tried something for Jesus that didn't work? What do you do when you want to go preach in Asia and the Holy Ghost says, no! What do you do when you try to go to Bithynia and you try to work it out and the Lord says, can't let you do that either? Can I just speak to you as a father and a shepherd and tell you, if you tried something for Jesus and it didn't work, you are not a failure. You are not a failure. You are not a failure and you're not to interpret those two no's. You are not to interpret that as there's not an assignment. I actually think we should begin to observe those no's as rather clarity. Instead of being confused about why you tried something and it didn't work, God is saying, uh, you can take that off of your, your to-do list. That's not for you to do. Well, I wanted to do it. I know, but that's not your assignment. It's not God saying you're not gifted. It's God saying this is not what I have assigned for you to do. He's simplifying it. If you can keep your joy when God clarifies your purpose by telling you no, he is immediately about to give you a yes. 
Now, let me say this to you. When Paul tries to go to, uh, to preach in Asia, the Spirit forbids him. The next verse says he tries to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit forbids him to go there too. And then something beautiful happens. He goes to Troas, and from Troas, he goes to Macedonia. And from Troas, pardon me, while he's in Troas, he has a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia. And this is what the man from Macedonia is saying. Come over here, Paul, and help us. Now, someone would say, who is the Macedonian man? The Macedonian man is a person that he saw in a vision because what I believe God is showing Paul is that Macedonia, don't miss this, is actually, it has intercessors who are praying and preparing the soil for the seed Paul is to plant. Here's the point. He wanted to go to Asia, God said no. He wanted to go to Bithynia, God said no. Why? Because God loved Paul too much to waste him in two places where the harvest wasn't ready. I'm gonna come over here for a minute. You need to thank God. I'm about to preach right here. You need to thank God for some stuff you tried that didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is because it might have been good, but it wouldn't have been God. If he would have put you in that field that wasn't ready for a harvest, you could have sowed seed and never reaped one soul. But somebody in Macedonia has been praying for Paul. Come over here, Paul. I know you want to go to Asia, but ain't nobody praying in Asia right now. I know you want to go to Bithynia, but ain't nobody in this Bithynia ready for this one. Come over here and help us, Paul. We've been praying and interceding. We've been believing you're on the way. And if you'll get here, there's a harvest. I want to declare this to you right now. God saved you not from the harvest, but for your harvest. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. How does this message apply to me? This is not for preachers. This is for anybody who is a sower. I'm not talking about just your money. I'm talking about where you work and what you do with your life. If you ever got a pink slip, it's not God saying he's not for you. It's God saying that's not for you. If you put your resume in and thought you were the most qualified for the job and they still didn't hire you, it's not because they didn't like you. It's because God is too jealous for you to let you get in a field that is not your field of harvest. I wish I could find some help. Because, listen to me, family, if you get in a field you're not assigned to, you may be the most qualified, but being the most qualified doesn't guarantee the harvest. What guarantees the harvest is that you got the right seed and you're standing on the right field and God would, he will oftentimes take you into a job where you are not the most qualified. Somebody else was more qualified. I'm talking to somebody right now. And God said, I'm getting ready to put you where you don't feel qualified so that when I bless you and your business you're working for, everybody will know it was me that did it through you. Come on and tell your neighbor God's got a field for you. I don't know what he shut down, but you ought to praise him that he shut it down. If he said no to that, it's because he's about to redirect you into a place that is ready for God's blessing to flow into your life. Hallelujah. So he, he goes, he goes to, tries to go to Asia. Lord forbids him from preaching in Asia. He tries to go to Bithynia. I'm going to shut that one down too. I tried it, Lord. It did not work. It did not work, so what am I going to do? I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to sleep. It's nighttime. I'm going to go to sleep because I'm tired of trying. And when he, when he stopped trying and he rested, he had a vision. Come over here, Paul. Isn't it funny that he came in the night with a direction? In a dark season, he came to... mm, He came to Paul in a dark season with some clarity. Come over here. And Paul woke up and Paul concluded, God wants us to go to Macedonia. I think that's a funny scripture. Duh. I mean, you had a vision. (laughs) It's probably meaning God wants you to go to Macedonia. 
Because you might want to go to you might want to go to Bithynia, you might want to go to Asia, but do you have a vision for it? Or are you just trying to do something? Because when you get a vision from God, you can't unsee that vision. There's a reason we're in Chattanooga together this morning. Because we started having dreams and visions. I can't unsee what I saw as a 17-year-old kid on my way to Lee University one week before I left. I can't unsee the rain that fell so fast. It rose up over my head and the vision God gave me when I was a 17-year-old boy. I can't unsee me cutting the head of a snake off. And when the snake's head hit the ground, it started raining on Chattanooga. I can't unsee that. And when the devil comes and says, uh, this ain't going to work, this ain't going to get off the ground, Chattanooga downtown, inner city campus, is it going to work? I remind the devil, I got a vision. I write the vision down. Some of y'all need to understand the power of the vision God will give you in your spirit. And you need to stop letting the devil talk you out of an assignment that feels too big for you. And you don't think you can do it. God didn't ask you if you thought you could do it. He's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. He's looking for somebody who will say yes. So he... He does not go to Asia to preach. The Holy Ghost says, no. He does not go to Bithynia. He tries it. It doesn't work. A Macedonian man says, come over here and help us. And he goes to Macedonia. And he preaches. And why did I read to you? This is almost done. Y'all have done very well. Why? Why did I read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1? Please open it back. Could you put it on the screen for me, Chad? I would like for the people of God to see a rather profound thing that I think is significant concerning this conversation we are having about assignments. Moreover, brother, we make known to you. I feel the Lord's presence in this room right now. We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of what? Macedonia. Do you understand that the 8th and ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians is the single greatest revelation on generosity in the entire Bible? A revelation of God's grace and goodness that never would have come to Paul had he not gone to Macedonia. He got a revelation on grace in Macedonia. Can you imagine had he gone to Asia? Can you imagine had he gone to Bithynia? We would not have 2 Corinthians. The revelation of God's grace came to Macedonia, the churches of Macedonia. How did the revelation of grace come to the churches of Macedonia? I'm going to tell you, because God shut two doors for Paul, and he would not, none of it worked. The only place it worked is in Macedonia, where God said, there, I'm going to give you a revelation of my grace. What if God said no to something regarding your assignment because a greater revelation of grace is coming in the door he's about to open for you? I, I, I just, I think the issue sometimes is trusting God. We trust him to get us to heaven because ain't nobody, I, I have never met anybody want to go to hell. Y'all might know some crazy friends or neighbors or something that are like, I can't wait. <laughs> but I have never met a man or a woman that want to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. We trust God to get us to heaven. We trust that he'll save us from our sins. But we don't trust him. We trust him for our Christianity and our salvation, but we don't trust him sometimes for our calling and our career. We don't trust him for our companion. Come on in here and talk to me. That's why some people don't pray about who they date. They're afraid God will tell them no. If he told you no, you better hear the word of the Lord. These people who trust God to get them out of hell but don't trust him for their future, I, I want you to hear me clearly. Well, we used to sing some songs about it in the church I grew up in, learning to lean. 
learning to lean, Tim Ashley. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm afraid we are raising people. We are trying in the church to educate people to the point that they don't have to have God to accomplish their God-given assignment. If you can do it without trusting God, you better reassess if it was his assignment for your life because God will never give you a future that makes him unnecessary. This is too big for me. Good. Pray. We, we got pregnant with another child. I don't know how we're going to do this. I do. Pray. <laughs> I recently met somebody that's not a part of our church, so don't get nervous. Um, and they were, they were like, tore out a frame. <laughs> that in their early 40s, the wife had gotten pregnant. Now, let me help you understand something. I would be tore out of frame too. <laughs> but they act so shocked. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> y'all know what causes that, right? I mean, <laughs> people are getting so nervous right now in the church. I didn't even say the word sex and y'all are panicking right now. The reality of it is that child was a gift from God. But they're panicking over how they're going to make their life work. It won't work unless you trust God. When God gave us the miracle of adoption, Devin said it so good last night. She said, I don't call them my adopted babies. They're Wallace's just as much as any other baby in that house. I say, amen. When God made that happen, in my carnal self, I said, how am I going to do this? I like was calling a whole new intercessor team to cover the pastor. <laughs> but I'm learning to lean. I think sometimes... We trust God for salvation, but we don't trust him with this assignment alignment thing. Let me tell you something. If he could be trusted to forgive you of your sins and not tell everybody your business, he can be trusted to decide where you work and where you live and who you marry. Well, I don't know. I feel like you're getting all in my business. Somebody needs to get in your business. Let, let me give you three quick P's. This, I'm, I'm not going to preach these. I'm going to drop these real quick. Let me give you three quick P's. These are guiding principles that will lead. I, can, I think they will help lead you toward in the direction of your divine assignment. Now, let me talk real quick and tell you, everyone in this room that's a Christian, lift your hand, please. Every Christian in this room has a general destiny. And by that, I mean this. Everyone saved in this church and in every other church in the world Every person saved has the destiny of glorification. We will all be glorified. When we see him, we shall be like him. Come on, that's what the Bible teaches. One day we're going to heaven, and those who are believers will stand not at the great white throne judgment. We will not make that judgment seat. We will not make that judgment round. We will stand at the Bema seat of Christ, where not the Father will be judging us, but Jesus, our Savior, will reward us according to our works. I did not say you would be saved by your works because Ephesians 2 tells us by grace we are saved through faith, that not of ourselves, sister, yay, yay, it's not about you and me and what we do for God that saves us. It is by his grace we are saved. If your salvation was a product of what you did, take it back to God, give it back to him, and get the gift of salvation that he gives that you couldn't earn, deserve, or work enough for. You are not saved by what you do for God. Amen. Thank you. 
but I need some more people to say amen because people in the church often think if I run enough, do enough, work enough, pray enough, read enough, one day I'll get saved. You will not get saved when you run enough, pray enough, read enough, do enough. You will get saved when you walk to the cross and see a man who hung between heaven and earth and he died so that you could live and you say, Jesus, I don't know why you love me this much but thank you for the gift of my salvation. Now somebody praise him that salvation is a, I feel like praising him in here. Salvation is a free gift. Slap three people, tell them it's a gift. You don't work for a gift. You say thank you when you get a gift. I wish I could find somebody who would say thank you for the gift of my salvation. It's a gift. We don't work for it. We receive it and say thank you. And then you know what we do after we receive the gift? We spend the rest of our life loving him. And when I work for him now and I preach the gospel and people get saved, it ain't a chore. It's a blessing. It ain't a burden. It's a blessing. And one day, everything I do for him, I stand before him and he's, Y'all can't handle this, but you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna give rewards. He's gonna give rewards. All of us have the destination of glorification. Nothing can stop it from happening. Devils can't keep it from you. You're going to heaven. You're gonna spend eternity with Jesus. Hallelujah! Until you get there, there are specific assignments that are tailor-made for you that God does not need your ability for. He just needs your yes. And let me give you three P's and I'm gonna get out your hair. Like Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband, I'm not gonna hold you much longer. So watch this, three P's. These are guiding principles. I cannot guarantee you that they always work. I'll tell you about 90% of the time in my life they have. There's been 10% of the time where God did something that didn't fit in this category. I'm just being transparent, honest, and real. Number one, where's your peace? Number two, where's the, where's the peace? Number two, where's the productivity? And number three, where's the passion? Do you have peace about what you're feeling assigned to? Colossians chapter three, verse 15 says, let the peace of God rule your heart. If you don't have peace about it, push pause. Let me give you three more P's out of that P. Pause, pray, and pursue. If you don't have peace about it, stop trying to make it happen. Peace is the ruler of your heart. When the Bible said, let the peace of God rule your heart, that word rule is the Greek word for the umpire of the Olympic games. And literally the umpire of the Olympic games. Do we got a prayer cloth anywhere? Do we got some holiness cloths or something? Okay, so pretend this is a wreath. A wreath is what they put around the neck of the champion of the games, all right? So watch this. So you get in the Olympic games and you run a race. And the race is, is one and the person who wins the race gets the gold, come here Samuel, you're gonna get the gold crown today. You and that hair of yours. Now, so watch, he wins the race. The umpire is the one who determines who gets the crown. So he goes and puts the crown on the winner. When you're making decisions in life, the umpire is the one that comes to your heart and says, this place is the gold. This is the champion. This is, the, this is your W. This is how you win. This is the decision you're going to make. Some of you are making choices for silver crowns and bronze, but if you'll get back to peace, peace will crown your life with the gold. I wanna be crowned with the gold. I want God to say that decision is the winning decision. That decision is the right decision. Stop accepting silver and bronze and say, God, I'm gonna wait on the gold and the peace of God will tell you where the gold is. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Secondly, passion. Where's your passion? 
Anybody people from the 80s remember the Wendy's commercial? The 80-year-old woman, where's the beef? Anybody, was that just us? Okay, I thought I was crazy for a minute. Where's the beef? What I wanna ask you is where's the passion? What are you passionate about? Okay, if you're too religious to, to accept the fact that God may actually like you doing something that you're passionate about, let me ask you this from another angle. What gets on your nerves? What frustrates you? What gets you ticked off? What gets you torqued up? What gets you into the game? What makes you want to get involved? What's the stuff you like running your mouth about? Well, why does that matter? Because it might be an indication of what gets you out of complacency and engaged into a place of actual act. Well, I don't know if God wants me to enjoy what I do. You know, Jonah didn't enjoy, what a horrible example. (laughs) Jonah's running from God and he all, all of a sudden became your hero? He's the role model now. He gets in a boat to flee the presence of the Lord and you're trying to tell your children and your mom and daddy, be like Jonah. No, don't be like Jonah. Jonah wasn't right. Jonah should have had joy about going to Nineveh and seeing a whole city get get right for God. But Jonah is prejudiced. Oh God, it's 1219 and I don't have time to do this, but I'm gonna tell you right now, we've got some prejudiced prophets in the pulpits of America who preach to their kind and they preach them the word they wanna hear and I am not one of those prophets. You cannot buy me or what I preach. I'm gonna preach the book and I'm gonna preach the love of God and red and yellow, black and white, Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, independent, they're all going to come into the kingdom of God. Say amen or owe me or something. Okay, I'm gonna calm down here. Cause I'm getting torqued up now. I'm finding my passion, hallelujah. This gets me all kind of wound up. What's your passionate about? I see Dr. White back there, he's passionate about helping people see. I see Devin, Devin's passionate about rescuing girls in human trafficking. You might actually get to do something you enjoy if you'll find out that union with God reveals the desire God has for you. He gives you the desire of your heart. Well, what does that mean? That means when you come into union with him, you actually find yourself doing what you love to do and it's what he loves seeing you do for him. And there's what, final thing. Where's the productivity? Fruit. I'm gonna give you a word right here, write it down, we're almost done. All you 12 o'clockers, it's almost time. You ready? You ready? Follow the fruit. Genesis 1:28, first chapter of the Bible. God tells Adam, be what? Fruitful and what? Multiply. Now, we always say that means go have a bunch of babies. And you know what? Praise God. We, we did. <laughs> Devin and I have. We done. We did it. We were fruitful and we multiplied. But do you know what? That's not just having beautiful babies. That's being fruitful everywhere you go in life. That's multiplying. It's taking two and making it four, five, and making it 10. I can't find no help in here. Be fruitful, be multiplying. He is not the God of subtraction or division. He's the God of multiplication and increase. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall bring forth much fruit. In fact, God is so interested in your capacity to bear fruit. He even tells you when you bear fruit, He'll prune you so you can bring forth more fruit. And, and he loves you so much that even when you get to the stage of more fruit, he'll prune you again to bring you into a place, watch, of much fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Can you receive this? You're going to be productive. I didn't say you gotta work harder. I said intimacy with God. Who are you, Lord? Intimacy with God 
increases productivity and decreases the stress. You will stress less and produce more. I wish I could find me a church in here today. I said, you, you will stress less. This is a prophetic promise to somebody. I wish I could find 12 people to grab it. You will stress less and produce more because your productivity is not attached to you being in the office 12 more hours a night. Because I know men who work harder make less and lose everything. I conversely know people, it would drive you crazy to see how at rest they are and how fruitful they've become. Because you can take Aaron's rod. I'm done with this. Play something, somebody. If I hear you play, I'll land this because I feel like teaching all day right now. You can take Aaron's rod. I got a microphone. Okay. You can take Aaron's rod, cut it off the tree, take it to the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, put the rod of Aaron in the Ark of the Covenant. It has no root system, it has no leaves, it has no way to get nutrients, it's just a stick that you put in the presence of the Lord. And you wake up the next morning and you go into that room where the Ark of the Covenant is, you open up the lid and there is Aaron's rod and it's budded. Blossoms, fruit all over it. It happened quickly and accelerated at an accelerated rate. It did not try harder to grow more fruit quickly. It just got in the right environment. I dare some of you to jump out of your kingdom building and jump into his kingdom. Because if you'll jump into his kingdom, get your life planted in the kingdom of God, it'll blow your mind how quickly fruit will start happening. Because the Holy Ghost knows how to produce fruit. And this drives religious people crazy. Because people who've been in the church 40 years but never been in the presence of God can watch a young convert in their teenage years get radically saved and jump into the presence of God. I wish I could tell you this. Now age may give you some life experience, but age does not always give you spiritual wisdom. I, it should. But I know people who've been serving the Lord 40 years who are still ignorant. Conversely, I know people who've been saved 40 days and are preaching. Y'all don't like me. Is he saying that my, my gray hair isn't important? No, we need your gray hair. And it produces worldly wisdom. You have experience. And I'm thankful there's a lot of people in here with gray hair that have spiritual wisdom. Let's be very clear. There's some real mothers and fathers in Israel in this house and we already praised God once for them, but I think we ought to do it one more time. But listen to me, what I'm saying is this. Stand with me. Age alone does not mean you have spiritual wisdom. What produces spiritual wisdom is the presence of God, living in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm talking to people right now who are not living into the kingdom, living in the kingdom of God. You go to church, but you're not a citizen of the kingdom. You haven't been born again. Your heart has not been changed. Your mind has not been changed. You're intrigued by Jesus. You're thinking about Jesus. You're trying to figure him out. But today, somebody's heart, maybe just one, somebody's heart is stirred to come into the kingdom of God. I don't care what you've done, what you're trapped in, what you're addicted to, how long you've been doing it. I don't know who you slept with last night or last week. I don't even care about any of those things. I don't even care how good life is going for you. Maybe you don't think you need Jesus because the business is well, the family's well, and I'm, I'm just fine, just like I am. My question to you is not how good or bad is your life. My question to you is if you've been born again. I just feel like there's somebody in this room today who's Somebody's been praying for you. Because your purpose is not in the life you're living. Your purpose will not be unlocked until you come into the kingdom of God. So I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to do that who needs to. Many people in this room have already come into the kingdom of God. But I take nothing for granted. I assume nothing. And my prayer is today that if one is in this room who needs to come into the kingdom of God and be born again by the Holy Spirit, that this opportunity 
be taking advantage of it. You will say yes to Jesus. Heads about, eyes are closed. Pastor, pray for me. I need to give my life to Christ. I need him to rescue me and save me. Would you pray for me? I want to be born again. I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. One, two, three, lift your hand if I'm talking to you right now. God bless you. Just throw your hand up and throw it right back down. God bless you. Okay, that's wonderful. Most everyone in this room is born again by the show of those hands. That's great. But I did see a hand or two. And I just want to give somebody the opportunity to say yes to Christ. And the reason we come down here is not to intimidate, you know, like all, with all these people. We're here as a family to say, no judgment. We're going to love and accept you. We refuse to come into agreement with Satan's version of your life. But we are contending for your future. And we believe it starts right here in Christ. So here's what I want you to do. Look at the person on your left and right. And I want you to say to the person on your left and right, do you need someone to go to the altar with you? And if you lifted your hand or you should have, I just want you to come meet me right here. We're going to pray. Prayer leaders are going to pray with you. And I want to give anybody an opportunity. I'm not coming to get nobody. I'm not coming back there to get nobody. If you want to come into the kingdom of God, you are invited to come right now. God bless you. I love you. I love you. Come on. I love you. Come on. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sweetheart. Come on down this center aisle right here. Come on. Come on. We love you. There's still room. There's a whole lot of room in this big old altar. And we'll wait for you all afternoon long. Come on. I, anybody else? I don't want to go back to my car the same way I walked in this building. I'm coming into the kingdom of God. Come on. Anybody else? Before we pray, come on. Man, we got some more sons and daughters coming. I got a whole row of them coming. Come on here. Hallelujah. I ain't praying until they quit walking. As soon as they stop walking, we'll pray. They're still coming and we're still clapping. Come on. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Hallelujah. They're still coming then now, though. We're celebrating. I'm not through celebrating yet. People are still coming to the Lord. Hallelujah. They're still coming. They're still coming. They're still coming. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. so wonderful. Stretch your hands toward this altar for me and pray for them like you wish somebody would have prayed for you the day you gave your life to Christ. Come on. Just prayers. Showers of prayers for a few moments here as they come into an understanding and they, they, they say yes to what they're feeling in their heart. The power of God begins to invade their life. Their sins get forgiven. Such wonderful, such wonderful promises from God for all of us here. Father, we just pray multiplied grace and peace upon these sons and daughters, this new family of ours. God, we just bless them in the name of Jesus. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for the gift of salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. Now listen, I want to pray for you. They're going to pray for them. I want all of you who want a grace of alignment to come on your life for the assignment no days wasted. No resources wasted. Anything you've tried that didn't work, it's not wasted. Bithynia, no. Asia, no. Macedonia, come over here and help us. And God's about to reveal a great revelation of grace to you as you yield and obey. If I preached anything to you today and you needed this, lift your hands right now. Lift your hands. I know I'm not talking to everybody, but I know I'm talking to some people. If I'm talking to you, lift your hands. I just want to pray multiplied grace on you. Father, I thank you for our family. I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for loving us enough to align us with your purposes. Lord, get some people out of misalignment, realign them and get them into alignment. I thank you nothing in their life will be wasted. I thank you that the season you have prepared for them is one of fruitfulness.
I decree and declare that the field you are calling them to is a field that is prepared for the seed that you put inside of them, the purpose that you put inside of them. They will be fruitful. You need to receive this right now. You will be productive and fruitful. I rebuke the lie that you are fruitless and you are empty. I rebuke that lie off of your life. I declare you will be fruitful in the thing God has called you to and he will align you with the thing he's called you to. Even in the no, there is a sense of clarity and an alignment even in the no. I feel like somebody ought to be as excited about the no as you are about what you're about to say yes to because in the no is clarity and God's about to make some things abundantly clear. So Father, every person that lifted their hands, I seal the word of the Lord. I thank you for the manifest presence of your power and grace in this room. Let them be aligned in their relationships and in their assignments. In Jesus' name, and the family said, I love you, go get some lunch. They're gonna continue to pray. I'll see you tonight at five. I plead with you, get here and get a seat because we're gonna have a powerful night. You don't wanna miss it. Go in the peace of God. Well, I trust that the Word of God is working in your heart in this moment. I know the Word works. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Maybe something said today has touched your heart. Maybe you feel like you are so far away from God. How could I ever get right with God? Friend, I want to tell you, there is a way to get right with God. It's through His Son, Jesus. Today, if you'll turn your heart and your life over to Him, I don't care what you've done and how bad it was, how long you've been doing it and how messed up you feel. Jesus is a friend to sinners. He'll come into your life. He'll turn it all the way around and change it. I believe by the Spirit of God, He's doing that right now. Let's pray. Open your heart and say, Dear God, come into my life and forgive me of all my sin. Lord Jesus, I need you to wash me and make me new. I confess that I've been a sinner. And today I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Turn my life over to you, Lord Jesus. Come in and be the King of my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know today's not the finish line, it's just the beginning. Go to kevinwallace.tv. Just drop us a line on our prayer request area. Let us know that you got saved. You gave your life to Christ. We wanna make sure you have a Bible. We wanna make sure you get plugged into a good Bible-believing church full of the Spirit of God. Listen, the journey has just begun and the best days of your life are in front of you. We're praying for you, for you here at Kevin Wallace Ministries. Can't wait to see what God does in your life. We love you all. God bless.